Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Good morning, church. I'm Brandon Emichek, and I have been, uh, have had the honor, actually, of serving with the uh, nominating committee, and uh, I know this is a day that a lot of us have looked forward to, and we've asked um, and prayed for patience, and um, the congregation has stood behind us, has been praying for us, and we could feel that as we were moving through the process. So on behalf of the uh, nominating committee this morning, I would like to officially introduce Tim Cho as our candidate, and he will be um, preaching this morning, and I'd like to thank April and Vivian, Annabelle and Tessa for coming and spending um, a few days with us. And, and really it's, uh, I would just like to share, it's been um, a long process and we, we added up the hours um, Tim spent with us and it's been over 20 hours of interviews and, and interactions and we've really got to know them um, well and we are excited um, for him to preach for you this morning. So I'll pray with, um, for Tim and we'll let him share the message this morning. So. Father God, we just, uh, we thank you um, so much. We've seen your faithfulness as we've walked through this process, Lord, and we just uh, lift up Tim this morning, Lord, and we pray um, that you would give him strength, um, that he would feel the spirit as he's preaching this morning. And Lord, we pray as a congregation, we'd be open to the message that you've laid on his heart um, to share with us that the spirit would be present and convicting us and laying those burdens and showing us where we can grow, Lord. Again, Lord, we just lift up Tim and we pray for him this morning and April and the family and we just also ask for safe travel back um, for them as they travel um, back today, Lord. We just ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Well, good morning, church. Well, I just want to uh, begin, uh, before I begin my sermon, that I just want to thank you for uh, those who have been involved in the process, the search committee, the elders, and all those of you uh, who have been part of the process. Uh, we are grateful to be here, we are excited to be here, and we are excited to see what the Lord has in plan for us. Uh, so let's continue to pray with us. I invite you to join with us as we pray together uh, as we uh, move towards the, the Lord's plans. Well, this morning I want to begin uh, by sharing a little bit about myself. Uh, well, in life, there are many voices that call to us. And you must choose wisely which voice to follow. I was born and reared in South Korea, and I came to the United States uh, when I was 10 years old. And when I, was, uh, when I went to high school, I decided to play this strange sport called football. Uh, football, for me, it offered an element of danger and camaraderie that no other school sport offered at that time. Working together through pain and hardship provided this warlike bond with one another. Now, this natural camaraderie was reinforced in our program through a tradition of initiation. It was the rite of passage, marking the admission of new players into the team. After two weeks of the most physically grueling weeks of our young teenage lives. My teammates and I were exhausted by the end of the double days where we practiced twice a day for three hours a day. And that Friday afternoon, after our second practice, the coach called us in and we were called to line up in the, el in the end zone for our welcoming ceremony, the initiation. And we saw the Goliath-like varsity football players coming towards us and the coaches were also coming, and we asked questions like, what did we sign up for? Why did we volunteer for this? And is this even legal? <laughs> Some form of pain was knocking on our door. 
And the initiation was quite simple. When the head coach blew the whistle, my teammates and I had to bear crawl the entire length of the football field in full pads, while the varsity players walked around and encouraged us by yelling at us. The only authorized rest position was to rest our head on the ground with our hands uh, not touching, and we couldn't touch our knees or elbows to the ground. The coaches were on the sideline uh, on the other side of the field calling for us as we got closer to the end zone. When the whistle blew, I began my crawl. I was already exhausted from the practice, and it seemed like I had crawled about 50 yards before I had to stop and take a break. And that's when one of the varsity players started yelling in my ear, said, you're only at the 15-yard line. You better get moving, Cho. It was an agonizing ordeal. And there were many voices screaming at us, some encouraging, but mostly annoying. <laughs> the weight of the shoulder pads pressing on in my burning arms and the weight of the helmet forcing my head down to the ground felt physically and mentally crushing. But as the suffering went on, I heard a glimmer of hope. I could hear the head coach's voice on the other side. And his coach, George, called me by name. And he said, get over here, Joe. You've got less than 20 yards to go. Finish strong. By that point, I could no longer lift my head. But I painfully inched to, uh, forward towards the coach's voice. And I drowned out all the other voices. And when I finally heard, good job, Joe. Welcome aboard. I collapsed. <laughs> well, similar to this ordeal in life, there are many voices out there that are calling for you. They are calling for your commitment to give your life. And though they may not come in the form of screaming or uh, maybe yelling at you, many of those voices are voices of distraction. Your employer will call you to climb the ladder of power and success. Higher education will whisper in your ears and say that the more letters you have in front of your name, the more power and more influence you will have in this world. Sports, whether recreational or spectator sport, will call for your loyalty to enter into that gladiatorial arena to either compete directly or vicariously through your team. Peer pressure for your young, younger guys will call you to do what feels good. They will call you uh, to be the king or the queen of your own throne. And if you don't believe what the majority believes, you may even get canceled. Now, not all of these commitments are inherently bad. Work, education, these are good things. But when you commit your life and give your life wholly to one of these worldly voices, which is only temporary in nature, it will certainly lead you astray. And at the end of the road, you'll find discontentment and disappointment. And there are many voices calling you and saying, follow me. So which voice will you follow? Which voice will lead you to life? In today's passage in John chapter 10, we see Jesus revealing an identity, his identity through an illustration and through this illustration, we see the voice of truth. We see the voice of the Good Shepherd. Now, I'll call this an illustration and not a parable, because John actually doesn't use the word parable, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually do. They call it uh, Jesus taught in, or spoken parables. 
But so what we have here in John's uh, passage is categorically different than a parable. It is more of an illustration or a quasi-parable. The passage comes to us just after Jesus was confronted and rejected by the Pharisees for healing a blind man on a Sabbath day in chapter 9. The Pharisees, who are the religious rulers of Israel, they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. And so what we have here, we have Jesus speaking these things to his disciples, the Pharisees, the healed blind man, and the Jewish bystanders that were around listening to Jesus teach. This passage is given to us by the Apostle John, the beloved apostle whom Jesus loved. And he wrote this Gospel of John with the intent to help his audience realize that Jesus is the Son of God. He wanted his audience to know that Jesus is worthy of their trust. He wanted his audience to commit their lives to him as their Lord and Savior. And he wanted the faith of the believers to be strengthened in Christ. This was John's intent. So in this passage, Jesus reveals that he is the good shepherd worthy of our trust. And through this illustration, we see three truths about Jesus. One, Jesus is personal. Two, Jesus is the Savior. And three, Jesus loves sacrificially. And we'll see that there is one voice that you can trust with your life, and that is Jesus, the Christ. So if you're not already there with me, uh, turn with me to chapter 10. John chapter 10. That's where we will be this morning. In 1988, former President George Bush said these words. He said something interesting. He said, read my lips. No new taxes. I remember when I uh, came to America, my friends were talking about this, and this was uh, the famous quote. Now, the first two words of Jesus in this passage in the original Greek, and also in verse 7, are amen, amen, translated truly, truly, or truly I tell you. Sometimes, this is how prayers were concluded uh, in Psalm 41.13, where we read, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. But by saying this up front, much like George Bush's statement, Jesus was emphasizing and confirming the importance of his message that he was about to give. Now, it's my understanding that, that President George Bush actually ended up raising taxes after he said this. And unlike a politician whose trustworthiness can't be really trusted, Jesus can be trusted. And we will see why he can be trusted. So join me in verse, verse 1, starting in verse 1, chapter 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by a, some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Here we see Jesus proclaiming the truth about himself using an illustration of a shepherd. 
Now, this particular illustration was frequently used because they were living in an agrarian society where farming and, and herding was part of their everyday life. This illustration, we have these players. We have the shepherd, we have the thief, we have the gatekeeper, and we have the sheep. Now, what we have to understand here is how sheep were cared for in those days in the Middle East, and even today, was very different than how we care for them here in the West. I remember the first time I ran into sheep in the Middle East. It was in a small village in Iraq in 2008. And there were two to five sheep kind of roaming around, uh, doing what they do best, uh, looking for food. And they were at this time uh, roaming around looking at, at garbage piles. And I even tried to grab one of the sheep, but they were very fast. So I asked my interpreter, hey, are these wild sheep? Can, they, can people just take them and go away with them? And he said, no, they actually have a shepherd. You'll see a lot of wild dogs, but you'll rarely see wild sheep. And sure enough, the owner or the shepherd wasn't too far away. It was a local teenager wearing a, a, an old Navy t-shirt, actually. And uh, he called the sheep, and sure enough, they followed him. Now, here in the West, we don't have traditional shepherds that lead the herd around like this, grazing the field. Uh, you know, the kind of that we picture with a rod and a robe. Here in America, we call them ranchers, right? And a rancher usually has sheepdogs like Australian Shepherd or Border Collie. Uh, and what they do is they graze the field and they're herded in and out of one pen. But in the ancient Middle East, the way sheep were cared for was much different. Similar to that old navy-wearing t-shirt uh, shepherd in Iraq, the sheep herd in ancient Israel also followed a shepherd. During the day, the sheep would follow the shepherd to gaze a field uh, and eat the grass. And at the end of the day, the sheep would be brought back into one large community central pen. And all the shepherds of that community brought their flock into this one pen. Now, with the combined resources with the other shepherds, they hired an under-shepherd, or a gatekeeper. And that, that gatekeeper would stay overnight with the sheep of that community. And in the morning, the shepherd would be, the, all the shepherds of the community would be let in, and the gatekeeper uh, would let him in, and the shepherds would call the sheep by name, and all the sheep would follow their shepherds. This is the scene that Jesus was describing as he was contrasting the thief to the shepherd. Jesus represents the shepherd, and we, his disciples, are his sheep. Jesus had the Pharisees in mind as he was describing the thief. The corrupt religious rulers in Ezekiel's days were also condemned in Ezekiel 34, as we read in our call to worship. And for they were condemned for mishandling and scattering God's sheep. Likewise, the Pharisees were the thieves who had mishandled God's sheep. They were the ones that Jesus condemned for taking advantage of God's flock. In Matthew 23, 3-4, we read this. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The thief climbs a fence, but the shepherd uses the gate. The thief takes advantage of the sheep, but the shepherd sincerely cares for his sheep. And the thief calls for the sheep, but the sheep will only follow 
the shepherd's voice. Truly, truly, Jesus has revealed to us an important truth about himself. And here's the first truth about Jesus in your outline. And that is, Jesus is personal. Jesus is personal. Notice that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. And the sheep know his voice and they follow him. They know him personally. They trust him with their vulnerable lives because the shepherd is trustworthy. And so they commit to following the shepherd. Jesus, who is the shepherd, is personal. He knows in each and every one of his sheep personally and intimately. To trust Jesus and follow him is to enter into a personal relationship with him. To follow the shepherd is to enjoy that relationship in the protection and provision that Jesus gives us. Protestant reformers recognize that biblical faith has three essential elements. Okay? Now these are Latin words. Uh, so follow, uh, follow me and hang with me here. Uh, the words were noticia, a census, and fiducia. These are the essential elements to a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what do they mean? Let me unpack. Noticia is the understanding of the notion or the content of the truths, such as that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus came and was sinless, he rose from the dead, and he was uh, uh, ascended, and so on and so forth. These are the notions, noticia. A census is the agreement or the assent to these truths, or agreeing that these notions about Christ are true. So you can learn about World War II, but do you agree and do you actually believe that the Holocaust was part of World War II? You can learn about Jesus, but do you assent to the fact that he was son of God? Now I must tell you that of the three essential elements of faith, the third one is what separates true saving faith of a believer from the rest. These first two elements of the faith I shared so far and are held and agreed even by Satan and his demons. Oh, they understand the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. They agree that what is recorded in the Bible is true, for they themselves have experienced it firsthand as in a fiduciary relationship. And it refers to a personal trust and commitment to the person of Jesus. See, when the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, they trust in the shepherd and they will follow. And in the same way, to be a Christian means to not just believe that Jesus was real, but to trust him and follow him through a personal relationship. Sadly, many people view Christianity as a religion and a strict set of rules that must be followed. You have to pray so many times in a day to be a Christian in a certain way. You have to go to church so many days in a week to be a Christian. You have to do X, Y, and Z to be a Christian and to be accepted by God. Well, let me be clear. Following Christ is not about living a strict set of rules. And any church or denomination that would teach that or require you to follow a strict set of rules to be accepted by God is strict legalism. God has already accepted us in Christ. And so we live by his commands to please him in our divine relationship of love. See, following Christ is about enjoying the personal relationship with Christ. And the good works that follow and result like wanting to pray, wanting to read the Bible, and committing to joining a church are the results flowing 
from a personal relationship with Jesus. About 13 years ago, I got down on one knee and I asked my lovely bride, April, to marry me. Now, I didn't ask her, will you live with me and follow a strict set of rules uh, according to the biblical commands? No, no, I said, will you enter into a personal relationship with me? Will you marry me and let me love you and let me die for you if necessary as long as we shall live? Well, in the same way, Jesus, the good shepherd, calls sinners to enter into a lifelong personal relationship with him. Jesus is personal. Now we're told when Jesus told this illustration that they did not understand. Well, who didn't understand? In verse 6, we read that Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So who were they that didn't get what Jesus was talking about here? Well, likely the Pharisees and the Jews, but also the disciples. Jesus had to explain this illustration, and we have his explanation beginning in verse 7. Join me in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here Jesus begins his explanation of his, uh, his illustration, but he also expands the illustration a little bit. He's not only the shepherd in this picture, but he is also the gate. So what does the gate of the sheep pen represent? Well, it is the gate of protection. It is the gate of provision, of love, peace, and joy. It is the gate of a, a fulfilled life forever with the shepherd. Here's the second truth about Jesus, and that is Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is a Savior. He is the gate, the only way to life and salvation. John 14, 6 tells us that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The word for saved is a word that is used to describe a rescue or healing or made complete. And it is used to describe our salvation in Christ. You see, apart from Christ, we as sheep, oh, we're in danger. There are thieves and robbers out there looking to devour you. The evil one and his band of demons are out there prying like a lion. And they are waiting to devour you. Your very own sin nature within you is calling you to walk away from the voice, the very authority of the shepherd, and calling you to be your own God. But in the presence of the shepherd, there is safety. And only in his loving presence will you and I be truly be made whole. You will be saved in Christ. The salvation in Christ is described by Jesus in verse 10 as a fulfilled or abundant life. It is a life that was originally intended to be enjoyed to its full potential in the presence of God. And this life of abundance only begins by entering through the gate of salvation, which is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
In 2017, I had the privilege to travel to Uganda, which uh, there, there is one of uh, the orphanages that, uh, that are some of our members of our church actually started and supports. Uh, we call it the Cornerstone Children's Home. And it began in South Sudan, but as a result of the civil war, uh, the people in the orphanage were forced to flee, and they were exiled in Uganda. And one of the girls there uh, was a, by the girl named Andua, who was, uh, recently, uh, had recently come to the orphanage. She was about three or four years old. Her father was a Turkish contractor, nowhere to be seen. And the, her mother, uh, just before her death uh, during the war, but just before she was killed, she had given her daughter to her mother, or, or Andua's grandmother. And Andua's grandmother heard about the Cornerstone Children's Home and how many of the orphans had entered into the gates of that orphanage and were given a second chance in life. See, she had high hopes that if she could just get Andua through the gates of that orphanage, that she would live. And God was gracious. When I met Andua in that orphanage, she was full of smiles and laughs. And she's now growing up, hearing the gospel preached, and learning how Jesus is the only way to salvation. And as she had entered that gate of the orphanage, she was given a second chance in life. And I pray that she will walk through the gate of salvation in Jesus Christ to be, uh, to be part of the family of God forever. Jesus is the gate. He is the only way to an abundant and everlasting life. This begins with knowing the person of Christ who is personal and who alone is the Savior. Now these qualities about Jesus, that he's personal, that he's the gate, that he's the Savior, they are true. But just because someone offers a personal relationship, offers protection and provision, it doesn't necessarily make them good. Think of the mail order bride industry, where women are chosen by American men, and they're brought into America to be married from Russia, Eastern Europe, Central America, uh, and Asia under a provisional green card for a better quality of life. Now we hope that most of these marriages end well, but sadly, many of these marriages, they result in abuse and divorce. You see, if someone's offering you a personal relationship and the promise of a better life, you must pause and think through your commitment. Is there something different about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that makes him good? Well, let's look in verse 11. Jesus said this in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. But when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. 
Notice here in this passage that Jesus confirms that he is a shepherd. And what separates him from the other shepherd, as mentioned in Ezekiel 34, and here in verse 8, is that he is good. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. So what makes him good and the other thief and robbers a hired hand? Well, here's the third truth about Jesus. Jesus is good because Jesus loves his sheep sacrificially. Jesus is good because he loves sacrificially. The picture we see here is a, is a comparison of the shepherd with a hired hand, or a contractor, if you will, whose priority is his own safety and not the sheep's. But the good shepherd sincerely cares for the sheep's well-being. He loves his sheep so much that he lays down his life willingly for them. A child who knows his mother will willingly lay down her life for him will gladly follow the mother for her sacrificial love is good. A wife who knows that her husband will willingly lay down his life for her will gladly follow him for his sacrificial love is worthy. Likewise, the sacrificial love of Christ is what makes him good. It is why we want to follow him because he willingly gave himself up for sinners like you and me. His sacrificial love is rooted in his union with the Father. And through this union, we, his sheep, are personally united as one with Jesus, as husband is to a wife. The Father is one with the Son, we're told, and the Son is one with us through the Spirit. Verse 14 and 15 explains this union. He said, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And we see God's plan of salvation unfolding and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. See, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we lost direct access to the God of love. Sin separated evil sinners like us from the holy and just God. And because the Creator is perfectly just, He cannot bend His rules and He cannot be still considered just while He allows sinners into His presence. Because the Creator is perfectly just, He cannot do this. It would be unfair for Him to turn a blind eye to sin. And it would be unfair for Him to allow evil sinners into His holy presence. See, our rebellion of sin was an offense against an infinite God that required the punishment of infinite worth. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And even that is not enough for our offense against the eternally holy God. See, as sinners, our due punishment is an eternal separation from God. It is what the Bible calls hell, a conscious eternal punishment. Sadly, in our sin, this is what we all deserve as sinners. This is where our default destination is as sinners. Who are we to knock on heaven's door into the presence of God, shaking our fists at God, saying, let me into your holy presence? See, we deserve eternal death. But the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
You see, to satisfy the justice of the Holy One, the penalty of our sin required the blood of a spotless or a sinless human life. And this is what the Old Testament animal sacrifices pointed to. But no animal could possibly atone for the sin of a human being. And the problem is that only a sacrifice of a sinless human life is acceptable before a perfectly holy God. And this is why God came to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who is truly God and also truly man, came to pay for the penalty of sin which only we should pay, but one which only God himself could pay. His divine nature caused him to be sinless, and his human nature made him the only suitable sacrifice on behalf of his people. Only the blood of infinite worth of the eternal Son of God could truly satisfy the punishment of infinite worth of our sin. Through Christ's sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his supernatural resurrection, the sin of man has been paid once for all at the cross of Jesus Christ. And whoever believes in him and follows him will find life, and will find life that is eternal and abundant. Through your faith in Christ, you are united with him forever, and you will be presented sinless before the Father on account of the Son. What the Father sees in the Son is what he sees in you, his righteousness, his holiness, and his goodness. That is yours in Christ. And your sins have been crucified at the cross of Christ. They have been nailed there forever, and he remembers them no more. You are forgiven once for all. The sin of your past, the sin of your present, and the sin of your future have been nailed to the cross. And grace is a gift of God that has been given to you in him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is personal. He calls you to come and to know him personally. He is the only way to salvation. There is no other way to the Father but through him. And he is sacrificial. He willingly laid down his life for you so that you may be saved from the eternal punishment of your sin. The Apostle, bond, uh, the Apostle John wrote his gospel with the intent that those who do not know Christ would believe in him and that those who are followers of Christ would grow in their trust in Christ. This morning, if you are a baptized believer who has committed his life to Christ, then I want to encourage you and to continue to encourage you to follow the voice of the shepherd. See, maybe you're walking through life's desert or the life's wilderness. and There are trials and difficulties in your life. Maybe you're trying to break an addiction, a sin issue, or a sin habit, but you find yourself failing every time, and success just seems impossible. And maybe you have a, a season of major transition in your life that's coming up, or as a church, and your future seems uncertain. Life is tough, and you may feel like you're all alone. If that is you this morning, I want you to know that the Good Shepherd is with you. And the Good Shepherd is guiding you along. When you feel helpless in your temptation, the Shepherd opens a door and calls you to come. When you feel life is too much for you to bear, and the future looks uncertain, 
know that you're not alone. The good shepherd carries you through the valley and he leads you to green pastures. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, have no fear, for Jesus, the good shepherd, is with you even through the valleys. Church, know that the good shepherd is guiding you and is empowering you in your faith journey. Grow in your trust in him and in your love for him. And grow in your knowledge of the gospel truth so that you can tell other sheep about the good shepherd. You point to that shepherd and tell him there are green pastures that he will take us. But this morning, if you have never heard about Jesus or wondered why the, the, these Christians gathered together on Sunday morning to worship this God, well, this is why. Because our Lord Jesus is the good shepherd. See, a life filled with purpose, fulfillment, and love can only be found with our shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. Maybe you've tried following other voices that have called you in life, but you have found that all these voices have led to discontentment and disappointment. I believe what C.S. Lewis once said about our discontentment in this life is a helpful explanation. This is what he said. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Perhaps you have followed the voices of this world of sexual confusion, of drug addictions, and other voices of pride and arrogance, but they have all led you down a path of destruction. But maybe you have recently heard the voice of the Good Shepherd calling you, calling you to come to Him, to believe Him and follow Him. Perhaps He's been calling you through that, that Christian friend of yours, or been calling you to open that Bible and read this passage if this is you, then the good shepherd is for you. Jesus is for you. This life of love and fulfillment that will last forever with him is a life that he calls you. Jesus said that he has other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and he must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Do you know who these other sheep that he mentioned are? He was talking about you. You who have never heard the voice of the shepherd. You who have been led astray by the false teachings, alone and restless in the desert without a shepherd. Jesus leaves the 99 sheep behind in the safety of the pen to come to find you. You are the one he's calling, and he is calling you by name. So listen to the voice of the shepherd and commit to following him today. Join his other sheep, known as the church. Because this faith journey with Christ was not meant for you to do it alone. We were meant to do it together as a sheep, pen, as a sheep, a flock. Listen to his voice. Trust and obey him. If you want to make that commitment and follow Christ today, I or the elders or a friend that brought you here would love to tell you about what it means to walk with Jesus in this life. Jesus is the good shepherd who is worthy of your trust. As a teenager going through that, that grueling bear-crawling initiation, I listened and followed the voice of my head coach, that one voice that called to me. And in the same way, followed the one voice of that shepherd, 
of Jesus in the midst of all the other voices that are calling for you in this life. There will be many voices that will call for your commitment. But only one voice will lead you to a true life of fulfillment and a life of true joy. Follow the voice of Jesus, who is the Good Shepherd. He is worthy of your trust. He calls you by name. He came to save you, and He willingly laid down His life for you. So follow Him today. Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. O Lord, there are many voices calling in this life, calling for our, our attention, yet your voice is a call to the truth and love for which we were created. You are the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We thank you for the promise that you, the good shepherd, are with us. May we take refuge in you as we walk through the storms of this life. And may we be strengthened by the Holy Spirit who is in us. We live to follow you all the days of our lives, that we may glorify your name forever. In Jesus' name we pray.